Welcome to the Grace Hill Podcast, a weekly podcast of our Sunday messages driven by our pastor. Grace Hill exists to bring God's biblical truth to your everyday life. As we begin this week's message, we invite you to open your Bibles and capture what God has in store for you today. Well, good morning. Good morning. Glad you are all here this morning. I'm excited to continue our series, It Takes a Village. I'm excited to uh, top, jump into this topic for today. But let's do a quick recap to bring everybody up to speed in case you have missed uh, some of the weeks so that you know where we are and where we're going in the rest of the series. So we started in week one talking about the need for community, the need for each other, right? It takes a village. So it's, it's about being together, the need for the connection group and, and, and that aspect of growth in our relationship and our walk with the Lord because it's important to have that connection and that relationship. The second thing we talked about last week was the, the need for accountability. And in our connection groups, in our village, we have the opportunity for accountability because we are to be each other's keeper, right? We are, we are our brother's keeper. We're to help lift up and hold one another accountable and, and, and carry that on. So what we want to talk about is that continual progression, right? So we talked about the need for real relationships the first week and out of real relationships comes accountability. And so moving from accountability now to the next level as we go a little deeper into what is the importance of the small group idea and the connection group mentality. And that is that in connection groups, discipleship happens. So let's jump into this and and talk about uh, this idea of discipleship within community. So there's a a book that I love to read, and I've read it probably three or four times at this point in my life, and and it is The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by uh, Stephen Covey. I was about to say Franklin Covey, but I believe that was like his father or grandfather or something, so different person. Uh, But this book is is incredibly, you know, it's it's very well well sold. It's one of the best-selling books all time. They've sold, I think, somewhere in the ballpark of 25 million copies at this point in time. And, and since it's first printing in 1989, there's a lot of incredible ideas that come from this. But one of the things that I want to pull out today is just this idea of maturity. And he talks about three different levels of maturity. And there's the dependence, independence, and interdependence. And a lot of us as, as dependents, you know, we're those, those small children. I have two dependents, at least according to my taxes, I have two dependents. Uh, in my home, and that is, you know, our, our children, right? And so as children, a lot of us, we, we find that we are in desperate need of others to do all things, right? That is what it means to be dependent. We need other people to make anything happen. We have a nephew who is, is almost two, he'll be two in October, his name's Bennett. And Bennett last night was hanging out with us, and Bennett last night needed some help with his diaper because Uncle Ryan wasn't going to change it because I could smell it from the other room. And I go, hey, Carlos, I think your son left you a present, right? He's dependent, needing others to make things happen, right? My my boys are still at the point where I could say, hey, why don't you go get yourself something to eat? And it's going to end up being a Pop-Tart, right? Like there's no no real value to what they're going to choose, but but at least they're, they're developing a little bit of independence, Now, independence is a big deal in our life, right? We want to grow to where we are capable of taking care of ourselves and and making it on our own without need of mom and dad. So I'm proud to say, like, I've only moved back in with my parents twice. So that's, you know, I am very independent at this point. And uh, third time, if you count my grandparents, which is where we're at at this moment. But praise the Lord, we close in our house tomorrow. So... uh, 
here we come, you know, Dallas, we're moving here, this is really exciting. But I have, I have, again, I have two children, and so my oldest son, this past week, this is a real conversation that him and I just had. We were getting dinner ready, and by we, I mean Lauren, but I like to take credit. Um, so we were getting dinner ready, and our oldest said, well, I don't want to eat that. And we were having chicken, broccoli, potatoes. It was actually a really good meal, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. But we're getting things ready, and Stratton says, I don't want to eat that. I said, well, then what are you going to eat? I don't know. You have to eat that. Well, I'll go buy something. I go, okay. <laughs> Who's going to pay for it? Well, you are. And I go, oh, no, I'm not. Um, so guess what he ate? Chicken, broccoli, and potatoes. Right. You know, so then later that same night, it was the same thing. This is him. He's, he just turned nine on Friday. Friday was his birthday. He's nine. He's big, right? He's like, I'm halfway out of the house. You know? So <laughs> nine more years of this, and I'm, I'm 18, and I'm going, good for you. Um, you'll still be my child, uh, even when you're 18. I don't care what you think. But So we have the same, this different, you know, same kind of conversation. That same night, we're laying down to go to bed, and I'm like, hey, you boys need haircuts. Like, this is getting pretty crazy. And Stratton goes... I'm not getting a haircut. All right. Now, we've tried growing it out before, and the reality is it's like he's got two older cousins who he admires the mess out of them. They're really great kids. They love Jesus. They're awesome. And they both have long hair, right? And so there's this this draw of, I want to be like Ethan and Landon. I'm going to grow my hair out. Now, here's the deal. We have tried growing his hair out. He just doesn't look as good as he does with short hair. I'm like, man, you look, you look great. I know that's a little harsh, but this is reality. You know, I'm like, you look awesome when you, with your haircut. You, just, you look so good, you know? And he's like, I'm growing it up. So we'll see how long that lasts at this point. Because see, he's at this point of determining and figuring out what is his independence. How independent is he actually, right? And so we all go through that, and we have that struggle of, I want to be independent. I want to be on my own. I want to be able to make it by myself. And now, I think one of the things that we've seen in, in the church world is we've worked so hard to get people to where they were independent in their faith, able to grow and mature to where they can sustain on their own. And I think what we've messed up is that we have forgotten the third level of maturity, and that is interdependence where it says, I am capable on my own, I can accomplish things by myself, but I realize that together, we are capable to accomplish a lot more. We are more effective together. So I can take my maturity and my ability to grow and develop my own, but when I combine it with the surrounding of the other people in the culture that I am building around myself, I can now grow to another level. I can accomplish more things. We can be more effective together. So understanding this idea and this need for one another. So so realizing that that our... our independence is is not the final destination in our growth, but as we move into interdependence in our maturity, we understand that we can grow a far lot, you know, a far greater and and a lot further if we have one another. It's a substantial understanding. So here's the reality is this, that without others around us, we can only grow dull, but we need each other to be sharpened. Without others around us, we can only grow dull. We need each other for us to be sharpened. I want to pull from a verse that, that everybody has probably heard this week as, as we walk through this, and I want to preach from Proverbs 27 in verse 17. One small proverb, but I think it's so beneficial to us as we understand and relate to the idea of what it means to see discipleship happen in a group, and it's on your screens there, and it says this, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We've all heard it. 
We've seen it, we've read it, but I want to pull a few things from this that, that maybe haven't been the way you've fully read this text and looked into this text and, and understanding that. So the first thing I want to talk about this morning is this, sharpening requires contact. Sharpening requires contact. Uh, it's, you know, I'm not a blacksmith, right? Uh, I find it intriguing and, and I've, I think it's incredible when somebody can take metal and, and, and turn it into something. I, I have a cousin who legitimately has a degree in welding and, and he does a lot of cool iron work and stuff like that just out of that. Like he does these twisted handrails and all these things. I mean, it's incredible. And I look at that and I'm intrigued by that, but I'm not a blacksmith by any stretch of the imagination. I, I, I think I understand general concepts, but if you were to ask me to begin to create something, I would go, that's, that's cute. It's not going to happen. You're going to be sorely disappointed with what you're going to get the same metal you started with is what you're going to end up with if you ask me to do it. Uh, but when I think back when I was a kid, I remember um, going to Old City Park, which I guess is now called Heritage Village, but I'm old enough to remember when it was called Old City Park and just that and now whatever. You get but I remember a specific time when I was there, they had a blacksmith there working. And this blacksmith was doing some incredible stuff. I was watching him take the metal, throw it in the fire, heat it up, pull it out, and it was glowing. It was red hot. And what I remember most importantly about this was that just because he heated the metal, it didn't mean that all of a sudden it came out sharpened, right? It came out hot, it came out glowing, but it required him to then take the metal and lay it on the anvil and then take the hammer and begin to beat the metal until it flattened and sharpened into the shape he was trying to create, right? It requires the contact. It requires connection from another. You cannot allow, the metal will not sharpen itself because it lays there. The metal will not sharpen itself because it was heated. The metal will not sharpen itself because we had hoped that it would, but there has to be that connection and that contact. It's incredibly important. It's a valuable part of the process in shaping and sharpening the metal. And I apologize if you see me spitting a lot. I don't know why, but I keep getting distracted by myself because it's like every time I say the word sharpen, there's like more spit comes flying out. What's great is anybody who listens to the podcast tomorrow is going to hear this and go, thank God I wasn't there. Uh, my goodness, just completely distracted myself. It's all right. But we need each other, right? The accountability then builds into discipleship because it's the accountability that, that, that allows us to have those sharpening moments in those conversations because there has to be connection. There has to be contact. It doesn't happen on its own. Now, I like to be fit. I try to be fit as a person. Um, and I went through this phase where I was going to become a runner. And I say a phase uh, intentionally because I never really became a runner. Now, I know that there's probably a lot of you who are runners here in the room today because of the area that we are. There's a ton of runners in White Rock. Any morning, like on the mornings when I drive in, I see runners running the lake and I just applaud them inside going, good for you. I'm really proud of what you are accomplishing right now. Don't ask me to join you. Keep doing your thing. But I tried to be a runner for a short while, and it didn't work out well. But, but for that short while, I was going, you know, we're going to do things. We're going to be active. We're going to go run. We're going to do this stuff. And I found this. I'm not good at it. But there was, I, I realized that whenever I would be training for a 5K, because that's as far as, I'd, as I would ever go, I'm like, 5K, that's good enough. Um, all you, you know, 13.1s and 26.2 stickers, good for you. Uh, I'll wait for you at the finish line and 
applaud you. But I remember, you know, watching my time and, and, and I would get these times and I'd be like, this is lousy. This is terrible. In fact, I was one time I was getting ready to go on a missions trip to Africa. Okay. And, and they told us because it was going to be very physically strenuous, uh, you know, a uh, trip that we had to do. We had to hike up and over this mountain. But anyways, they said, okay, everybody has to be under uh, yeah, a sub 25 minute 5k. So I was working really hard to meet that because again, I'm not even a good runner, right? Like I wanted to be, I'm just, I'm not good at it. And so I'm trying to run, trying to get better, but I found that when I ran on my own, the best I could do was like right around that 25 number. And I would get to that number and I would say, okay, this is going to have to do, like this is, I better not die in Africa, which I almost did. It was great. Uh, we'll tell that story at another time. Uh, we, that's a, it's a true story, but we'll share it later. Uh, so I found though, whenever I would run with other people, my time would be better because I was for a few reasons. One, if you run with a group, you don't want to be that guy, right? Like you don't want to be the one just slowing everybody down. Like, wait for me, wait for me. But do you know that in every single, you know, we'll get, you know, we'll get, I'm going to focus myself a little bit here and just keep moving. But I found that whenever I would run with other people and that I would, I would have a better time. I would, I would feel more motivated because you don't want to be that guy. You don't want to be the one that slows everybody down. And you go, you know what? I'm thankful for these people around me because right now I am making it happen in a way that, that is better than I could have done by myself. Because we need that connection. In the same way with our discipleship, in, in, in ironing, sharpening iron, it requires contact. We need each other. It truly does take a village uh, how many of you have ever ran with that one person that is extra peppy and apparently more fit than every other human being on the planet? Because I found this is that you've got that one person in the group who's like the, the front runner, so to speak, right? And they're not only just the front person and they're out there leading the way in the, in the running and all this kind of stuff, but they are, are in, in a kind of non way of trying to be arrogant, showing you how great they are and throwing it in your face because they do one of those whole, I'm going to turn around and run backwards and talk to you at the same speed that you are trying to keep up with me right now. And they're like, you can do it. And I'm like, stop using your condescending little phrases while you talk to me running backwards right now. Turn around and let me look at the back of your head. Right? You know, it's true. And if you are that person, I'm proud of you. Like... At the end of the day, I'm going, I want to be you. I just, it'll never happen. But see, in the same way in, in our connection groups, we have those people who are not in a condescending way, but they're saying, hey, come on, you can do this. We want to encourage you. We want to build you up. Follow me as I follow Jesus. It's that kind of mentality where they are helping to build you up. And you only have that if you have the connection and the contact required for discipleship to take place. We can only grow so far on our own. We can only become so great on our own. We need one another if we are going to become who it is that God has called us to be. The contact is necessary. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15.33 tells us this, that, uh, that bad company corrupts good character. So deductive reasoning tells us this, that good company should ultimately corrupt or at least challenge bad character, Right? And so when we surround ourselves with people that are, are, are going to push us in the right direction, that, that are the people that we want to become like, right, we ultimately can begin to see a shift and a change in the growth in our own personal life. When I was a student pastor, I used to say this all the time, show me your friends and I'll show you, show you your future. 
right? At some point in time, we go, yeah, that doesn't really happen anymore because we're so set in our ways as we grow and mature as people. But the reality is, if we surround ourselves with people that we want to be like, all of a sudden, it's a lot easier for us to take on the attributes and the aspects of those people because we are encouraged by what we are seeing. We're motivated by who they are and what they have become to say, I want to be like that. Therefore, I'm going to surround myself with people like that. So when the connection group setting and, and, and this idea of it taking a village, we surround ourselves with people from Grace Hill and then people that we're inviting and bringing in to say, hey, let's grow together because now we're all working towards a common goal and a vision and a direction. But it starts with contact. It starts with connection. You can't shape the iron. You can't sharpen the iron by just heating it up and letting it sit there. Ultimately, it'll cool and you'll have no ability to beat it into submission. I'm just kidding. No, it's not. But you do have to strike it into shape. Yeah. I'm glad somebody caught that. That was a joke. We're not beating anybody into submission in our small groups. I promise you. <laughs> the second thing I want to talk about is this. Sharpening requires time. Sharpening requires time. You're not going to strike it one time because it's hot and walk away and say, look, it's completed. You're not gonna sharpen it, hit it three times, and then be like, it's done, right? It requires time. It re requires consistency and repetitiveness and, and the constant working and, and pushing through because you have to strike it continually. The same thing is this. If you're trying to disciple somebody not just be discipled yourself, but if you're trying to disciple someone, it requires time. It requires repetitiveness. It requires consistency. It requires constantly showing up and being there and working through it. Because the reality is, is, is that, that it's not a quick process. I was doing some research when I was getting ready for this message and trying to figure out things about blacksmithing and, and iron work and steel work and all these things and going, I know nothing, right? I'm clueless to the idea. Uh, I'm, I'm, I think it's intriguing. It's really cool. But I watched this guy and, and he was so proud that he was able to make the, he was like, listen, this thing is ugly. It's rough. But he made a sword in about 10 hours of work. And he was really proud that it took him 10 hours only. He did it in 10 hours. And I'm going, how long does it take to make a nice one? This is insane. But I learned something through this process that, that, that it, there is so much time and work involved. And even as, as, as ugly as it was, it was far greater than anything I would be able to create in his 10-hour time frame, right? But he had worked meticulously with the metal, heating it and pounding it and shaping it and using all these tools and doing these things so that it, in the end, it looked like a sword. And he was like, there you go. We made a rough-looking medieval sword thing. And I was like, one, why? Two, uh, that took forever. It was it's a long process. And it's the same way in our lives as iron sharpening iron and one man sharpening another and, and these relationships building each other. It is not a quick process. There's not a, a, a overnight success of you were saved and justified in the moment. That's the quick part. And now the growth is you're not going to go from zero to Jesus overnight, right? It's not, you're not going to wake up one morning and be like, I am a perfectly moral human being that is never going to fail or struggle. And I know all things and all complexities of the word of God because I woke up this morning after receiving Christ. It doesn't work that way. Wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah. But it doesn't. 
It requires time. It requires a constant working in process and saying, okay, today I'm going to work more to be like Jesus. And having those people around you to say, today we are going to work together to be more like Jesus. That whole incredible process of sanctification that, that we kind of mentioned before through this village where we say, okay, we're justified immediately, but the sanctified part is a long, ongoing, never-ending process that we are continually striving for to be more like Christ. It takes time. And I think for some of us, that is the most frustrating part, especially when discipling someone and you're trying to help somebody walk through it and you're on the inside, you're going, why don't you get this? You keep going into that same place. And when every time you go there, you do that same thing and you fall back into that. And we're trying to bring you this way, you know, and you have this whole deal. And it's a struggle of consistency. Keep showing up, keep working through it, keep giving the time, keep giving the time, keep giving the time. There's no easy way around it. There's no shortcuts in, 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 in growth. There's no shortcuts in, 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 in seeing things you know, develop and, and become what, what they're supposed to be. One of the cool things about being a parent is getting to watch your kids, right? You get to see them grow. You get to see them learn things and develop things. And, and back to my older son, I picked on him a little bit, so I feel the need to praise him now. That's kind of how my mind works. Like I was giving him a hard time. So yesterday was his first game of this new season. And it was really cool to watch him play. And it was a really, really, it was a sad ending. We should have beat that team. And we ended up mental errors and we tied 5-5. It was awful. It was, because <laughs> he was frustrated. And I was like, man, but they played really well. And it was really cool to watch because in the second half, he, he plays uh, midfield and, and he kind of shifts around a little bit. And so he's, he goes from, from center to left most of the time. He's in that, in that realm. And so yesterday, we got to watch him a lot right in front of us. It was really cool because of where we were sitting. And it was neat to watch him get into trouble. And literally, there was one time he had three defenders collapse on him. And this is like a super proud dad moment, right? And he put like three moves on these guys and dribbled out of it. And I was like, and like, it's always really cool when the whole sidelines goes, oh, I'm like, yeah, I think that kid fell down. It's really cool. It was a really proud moment. But um, in case you're wondering, he did score a goal yesterday, but um, it was on a corner kick. It was a really well-placed corner, and all Stratton had to do was put his leg out, and then he was pumped because he megged the goalie in the process, which means it went between his legs. So he kicked it between the goalie's legs, scored. It was a big day. All right. But... This process of watching him grow and develop. I remember back when he was three years old and he was in a thing called first kicks. He was not doing those moves that we watched yesterday where he was doing these, he, man, he did like this fake, like he pulled back, did this fake rollback thing and then flicked it with his toe and that kid, it was awesome. And this kid just <laughs> bit it bad. It was really cool. He just like, where did you go? You know what I mean? But when he was three years old, that wasn't happening. When he was three years old, they were using phrases like, okay, we're going to do TikToks, you know, and like it's one foot, then the other, and you're back and forth, and you're doing this, you know, and like watching him grow from, from that moment to yesterday, and you go, okay, these things didn't happen just because uh, he woke up one morning. But it happened because he spent time in the backyard with the soccer ball. It happened because he was showing up and working hard at practice. It happened because he was motivated to become better. He was motivated to learn the foot skills that he needed. He was motivated because he, he wanted to, to be the best he could be at that, you know, where he is now. 
See, it's the same way in our walk with Jesus that, that we're not gonna wake up one morning and be the next, you know, Pele for Jesus. It, it, is, it is a process that we have to work through and constantly put time and effort into our personal growth so that in turn, when we're connected with others, we then have more to offer to be able to give to help others grow and develop around us. And then we see the cool part when, when those that we've helped grow and develop are able to come back and help us to grow and being encouraged in, in, in situations and moments. It's phenomenal. I know that there will become a day when I'm not able to beat my son in soccer anymore, mostly because I got too old. Um, and that's just a part of it. And that's a cool thing to be able to say, man, now I need, you know, it's that, that flip, that reversal where you go, I've helped disciple you and see you grow in Christ. And now I'm at a point where I need somebody and I can turn to you because I know the work and the time that you've put into your relationship with Jesus. In turn, now I can reap the benefits on the flip side of that so that when I need somebody, there is that person that's been built up and discipled. It takes a village and it takes time. We're not gonna grow uh, in, in our walks with, with Jesus just because we want it to or because we woke up one morning. There is time involved in the process. Hebrews 6, uh, 11 and 12 says this. It's, it's not on the screen, but just it says this. It says, we want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that so good? I, I just, the idea of, of your diligence and your consistency in your walk with the Lord will allow you to then see what you have dreamed and hoped for in your walk with the Lord. It requires consistency and diligence, not becoming lazy in our faith, not, not, not skipping out, like, you know what, I'm tired this week. Forget it, I, I'll, I'll wait, I'll do it next time. But, but being diligent, being faithful, continuing to show up continuing to show up. When you've had a bad week, you show up. When, when you feel like you don't need any more Jesus, you show up. When you feel like God has separated himself from you and turned his back on you, you show up. Because it's in those moments when those around you can then build you up and encourage you and say, hey, you know what? God has greater things for you. God wants to see you grow. God wants to see you develop and help you push through because connection helps us to become discipled and, and to be disciples and to disciple others. We need the connection. Discipleship happens through contact and through time. The last thing is this, sharpening requires heat. The metal's not pliable unless it is heated. When it gets to begin to glow, right, and, and it's just that bright, orangey, red color so that you know that when you strike it with the hammer that there is going to be some pliability to that metal so that you can shape it, so that it can bend, it's softened, you can bend it over, you can cut pieces out of it, all because it has been heated up. All because it's been heated up. Now, I, I, I admit that usually when you read Proverbs 27, 17, your mind doesn't go, oh, yeah, heat, right? As iron sharpens iron, so man, one man sharpens another. You're not going, fire, all right, hot stuff, this is great. But follow me and, and, and track with me a little bit as, as, as we walk through this. I find that the heat is kind of like the word of God. The heat is like the Bible. It's like the truth that we need in our lives. 
2 Timothy 3.16 tells us a, a very powerful truth about the word of God. It says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. I want to take just a moment to, to exegete the scripture. And exegete is a really fun word to say. We're going to break down and walk through this real fast. But, but I want to look at something in a little bit in, in depth for just a moment. The word God-breathed is a hyphenated English word, right? In, in our English language, it's a hyphenated word. In the Greek, it is a compound word, which is God being theo is the Greek for, for, for that. And then breathed is the word pneuma, which is also the same word for spirit. You put them together, it's theopneustos, right? So I'll tell you, like, I don't try to do Hebrew. I can roll with Greek, okay? So we can do that. Huh. So theopneustos. So it is this compound word, essentially. That's where we get our hyphenated word, God breathed. Because in the New Testament, in the Greek, the word pneuma is the word for spirit. It's the word for, for breath. A lot of times it's the word for wind uh, and, and things of like that. And so we find that it is this breathing out, right? So that is a carryover from uh, the Old Testament in the Hebrew. And now this is the one Hebrew word that I will attempt to say because there's not too much phlegm involved. Uh, and it is the Hebrew word for, for spirit and for breath, and that is ruach. Okay, and this is incredible. This is mind-blowing stuff that when I came across all of this, Lauren and I did this study together and we were going like mind-blown stuff. And we'll just do a brief deal because if we try to do this whole thing, this, I kid you not, is a four-week series on its own that we will do because uh, it's incredible. So as we look into the Old Testament, there's a few things that, that I, I, I want to point out. So first of all, when you look in Genesis chapter one, in the very beginning, it says, in the beginning, uh, God created the heavens and the earth, right? And it talks about how the earth was void and without form and that the spirit hovered over it, right? That word spirit is ruach. It's always fun to say, right? I'm afraid I'm going to get something on the microphone, and Jason, I apologize. And so we have the spirit. So then you, you flip over then to Genesis chapter 2, and God creates man. And it says this, that he breathed into his nostrils, and he became a living creature. That word for breathed is ruach. So it tells us this, that, that when God breathes, that when he pours out his breath, that in that is his spirit, and from that comes life. And we find that scripture supports that all living things contain the breath of God. And in Ecclesiastes, it says that, that when we die, that our breath returns to him. So it's like our spirit, in that sense, the spirit that we breathe, the living thing in us that gives us life, that returns to God. So we find, we fast forward now back to the word of God, back to the scripture, and it says, all scripture is God-breathed, meaning that the word of God has the same breath of life that was given to Adam to create each and every one of us that we have been, we have been birthed from, that now the same breath that was given to give life to Adam is the same breath that was breathed into the authors that were inspired to then write the very word of God and the scripture that we use. So we have this word of God that is that, is that heating element, right, in our life, that it is that, that, that truth that we have that is now a living thing. In fact, the book of Hebrews tells us that, that it is the living word of God, right? And it says, you know, we can get into that whole other deal. We're not doing a series on the word of God, which, man alive, I better hold on and just stick to my notes because I could go way off on this. So we have the word of God that is living, and it tells us is that all scripture is, is God-breathed and it is, it is useful for, for teaching 
for rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. I have a friend of mine who's, who's only been a Christian for about the past five to six years. Um, and he's, he's an older gentleman and awesome. And he would be really disappointed that I just said older gentleman. But I remember him telling me a story one time that he was still very much a baby Christian and learning things, had no clue on things. And, and he said, I was at the office and I'm just hanging out talking with, with all the guys. And, and he said, my go-to was always very crude, inappropriate humor just to try to get a laugh, to get guys, you know. And I, so I was doing that and I'm just talking and he has just been a Christian at this time for probably six, seven months. He said, so I go to tell this joke and I tell this joke and I had a friend of mine in the office who knew I had just been saved pull me aside and in a loving way point out to me uh, the scripture in, uh, I've got it written down so I wouldn't forget because I knew that would happen. In Ephesians 5, 4 and it says, there shouldn't be any obscenity or coarse joking. And he said, man, it was like it hit me like a ton of bricks. All of a sudden, this realization that I'm at fault, that I'm doing wrong, that this isn't glorifying the Lord, that, that God isn't pleased in my behavior. And he said, I was like, oh, man. He said, and in that moment when there was that realization and that understanding that came from the word of God, he said, I felt sick to my stomach because I was like, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So then fast forward uh, a few months back, um, probably a year ago at this point now, I was preaching. And I remember what I was preaching on at the time, but I remember that his wife texted me on Monday and said, hey, I wanted you to know that uh, my husband said he's never coming back to church again because he didn't like what you had to say and it's forcing him to have to change again. It was all out of like tongue-in-cheek humor, but, but it was really funny and I just laughed because I know his humor and that's, he clearly, he, was, he came back the next Sunday, but, but it was just like, man, again, you know, so he's, it's that I, understanding that the heat element, what makes us pliable and shapeable is this living word of God. So in our connection groups, we have the contact and we have the time, but the most important element and the most important factor in any discipleship and growth is the fact that the word of God is alive and active, that it is capable of revealing to us things that aren't right and things that, that, that need to be changed and things that need to be corrected in our life. That's a part of discipleship. That's a part of sanctification and growing together and saying, okay, listen, how many of you would say that I've, I, there's been, this has been an issue in my life, right? And we can be open and honest in that moment because that is like the fire heating our hearts to make it pliable and shapeable so that it can be sharpened the way that we need to be sharpened, the way that God intended for us to be sharpened. We have to understand that, that the word of God is the most valuable piece and component in any relationship that we have with each other because it will allow us then to grow. I will never shy away from the word of God. I'll never shy away from the, the fact that I believe 100% that the scripture is inspired by God, that all scripture is inspired by God and that all scripture is, 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 is useful in teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. See, see the, the, the training in righteousness aspect, aspect is, is that part that, that a lot of times we go, oh yeah, we can use that, can't we? We try to do things on our own, we try to get things right, and we go, man, where am I messing up? Where am I messing up? You know what? The word of God is like a training manual for us. We can open it up and we can see things. And, and what happens is because it is living, because it is the living word of God, 
There's that, that illumination aspect that comes from the Holy Spirit where he says, hey, I have breathed into this. That breath, that, that pneuma breath that is breathed into this is the Holy Spirit, right? And so the Holy Spirit is able to say, let me work with you on this and illuminate things and reveal things that you go, I never saw that in that text. I never understood that from that passage or from that scripture. And so the Holy Spirit says, I want to help you grow as much as you want to grow, if not more. So let me reveal things to you. But it requires time and connection. We need each other. How many of you know that there are times where you've read a scripture and you go, I'm clueless. I don't have a clue. What, what did I just read? That makes no sense to me. And then you can, go to, you can go to a connection group. You can go to something and say, hey, I read this. Does anybody have any idea? You know what would be intriguing is to find out how many times that you could go and be like, hey, somebody had a really good answer for this. Somebody was able to really uh, apply that and show me how this works in my life. It's incredible stuff. That's why we need each other. Connection happens in a group. Here's what I found about the fire. It can be uncomfortable. It can be uncomfortable. How many of you have ever burnt your hand on something, right? And you pull back quick. Oh, you, oh I didn't like that. I didn't like that. You know, we, we find that the, that the fire, the heating element, that heating aspect, oftentimes is the most uncomfortable part because it requires us to become softened and to sit long enough in the heat so that we are moldable and shapeable, so that we're pliable, so that we're bendable, so that God can begin to, to, to work on us the way it need to be, we need to be worked on. But it was never intended to be done by ourselves. That's why it takes a village. How many of you know that there are sometimes, there are people that God will place in your life that you go, man, every time I'm around that person, they, they just, they, they show me things about myself, even if it's unintentional, right? And you get around them and you're like, oh man, they, did, they handled that situation way better than I did. And they didn't say anything about it, but you look at it and you go, man, see, that's why we need each other. We need those people that, that we can look to, that we can hear from, that are willing to speak the truth in love and be able to, to reveal to us through scripture so that we can be built up together as the body of Christ. The whole idea of, of pushing connection groups, the whole idea of, of it taking a village is so that each and every single one of us can grow to become more like Christ. How different would our church community look if, if we were all so, so built up and, and, and so encouraged by one another that as when new people came in, that they just felt a deep love in this church, that the love of Jesus was so overwhelming that they go, man, this is it. This is home. This is where I want to be. I think it's incredibly valuable, the need for each other, the importance of each other. Let me pray over you this morning. Father, God, I love you. Lord, I don't ever want that to be taken lightly or my words to be softly said without any meaning or heart behind them. I love you. I thank you, God, for your love. Lord, that you are willing to send your son. God, that you're willing to send your son to die for us. To die for us each and every one of us. God, when I think about my own boys and my own children, when I try to place myself in your position, I say, thank you, God, that, that you are God and not me. Because I don't know how well I would have done in that moment. God, I thank you that you love us enough to send your son to die for us. 
so that we might have eternal life through salvation. So God, I pray this morning that as, as we come to an end, that you will begin to speak to our hearts, begin to reveal to us, oh God, how desperately we need you. And then beyond that, God, that we will begin to, to see and understand how desperately we need each other. We need each other. God, that we cannot become who you have called us to be individually without everyone else around us. Lord, if there's anything I've ever learned, if there's anything I've ever seen in my life is this, is that, that, that you have a greater plan for us than we have for ourselves. You have a more perfect plan for us than we have for ourselves. Lord, our ways of thinking are flawed and they're usually limited. But God, you have a pure, perfect, righteous plan for our lives. But we will never make it if we don't surround ourselves with people who are striving for the same thing. We'll never make it unless we surround ourselves with people who are trying to be like you as well. And we have the need for one another so that we can be built up and ready to do the work you have called us to do. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Grace Hill is always about knowing God and growing in God, and we want to hear from you. If you have a prayer request or a question, you can email us at info at gracehill.cc.